Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome everybody to the Last Lap Podcast. I'm your host Andrew Pearson. Alongside me, as always, is my co-host Sean Gray. Hey guys! And joining us for episode two, our wonderful friend Nikki Holdenby from Lights Out Blog and Badger GP. Hello, everybody. So, episode two, general F1 banter, as <laughs> I might possibly call this episode. I don't know, something like that. Um, Asterisk banter, not necessarily guaranteed. <laughs> yeah, but banter optional, possibly. Um, yeah, so here's, here's our forum, really, for just like kind of venting about F1, whether it's you know about a team, it's about the sport, um, about things of surrounding the sport, things that we think uh, you know need to be discussed. The fat chewed, the um, tuppence given, shall we say. Um, yeah, so... Let's let's carry on from the last episode. I know Sean wanted to talk about this a bit, and I kind of cut him off a little bit because I thought we could really get our teeth into it here. Williams. Where are not, they going? Not a great start to the season, and it's not really been an upward curve for them across the last few seasons. Uh, Nicky touched on that on the last episode as well. It's a combination of driver lineup and poor air on chassis development but it just does feel like they're going backwards and backwards and I can't see I can't really see the solution and I said at the back end of last season when Massa obviously made clear that he was going they had to get that driver lineup right you know they had to get okay they were losing 15 years experience out of the car and they had Lance Stroll who I've you know I've praised a few times but he's still just a boy and inexperienced. As you rightly said last show, he looks like a rookie still. He feels like a rookie. So the, this driver lineup had to be right. And they've gone for Sorokin, who is a massive rookie. So it just does, it, it feels imbalanced to me. I always liked the Williams lineups when they had Barrichello, they had Massa, they had Bottas, they had a nice blend of experience and youth times over the last few years. And they've gone all out with the youth this year. And I just don't see how they can develop that car um throughout the season with that driver lineup. Nikki, is that Williams' biggest problem that you know the, the drivers can't feed back in, in a constructive way to to build the car? I think to a certain extent, yeah. And that's why they've got Qubits are there to kind of help them. Although if you've listened to Jack Villeneuve then he'll tell you that uh, Qubits is sabotaging the car to help. <laughs> um, oh I love I was Jack to say, never listen to Jack Villeneuve, Jesus. <laughs> oh, never mind. That's almost as good as Maldonado's one. Do you remember Maldonado's one? Um, his last race for Williams, did he not claim that they'd sabotaged their own car? Um, yes. So that he was because he, he was leaving or something yeah. like uh, F1 conspiracy theories. You could do a whole three-hour special devoted just to that. That'd be brilliant. Ah, <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Like car development is obviously the key thing because it feels like they've gone backwards what season after season since the since the change to the engine regulations yes the glory days um first year of engine regs boom they've got a mercedes engine suddenly they're back fighting for podiums it looks great everything's rosy at williams and as all the other teams around them have progressed they've just 
worms have regressed. They've just slipped further and further down the packs from getting thirds and fourths to fifths and sixths to ninths and tenths to now what happened in Australia. They were 14th and obviously what's the Rockin had his unfortunate retirement. But, you know, it's, it seems like we have this, this discussion about them every year and nothing's changing there. And I really, really like Claire Williams. She's a lovely woman, a really nice person. And you know, really, really likable with the fans. She talks really well, but they're going backwards under her leadership, and I'm not sure how to fix it. I think the interesting thing about Williams is that they have to chase the money, as has been proven by the driver lineup. Obviously, the both of got talent. It's telling, but, isn't it? And it's a shame, but it's true. It's like Ericsson itself as well. How long do you favour the money over the driver's performance before it becomes detrimental? to the progress of the team in the bigger picture. I mean, are we... I mean, if you if you look at it here, who are the two teams that seem to have benefited the most despite not having any real cash? And we, we can exclude Toro Rosso from that. And realistically, it's Sauber now with the Alfa Romeo partnership um, and Haas, who essentially buy the previous year's Ferrari... Uh, and then stick an aero package over the top of it. Uh, and I think both of those approaches, um, one way or t'other, uh, benefits the teams because it allows them to do things that they wouldn't normally be able to do. Has, you know, start each season with a car of reasonable build, you know, uh, and then just has, has to R&D over the top of it, which is great. Do you know what I mean? It takes such a massive hassle out of it. Sauber are slightly different, Sorry. you know. It's only the first year of the of the package, but clearly, Ferrari as a group or the Fiat group or whatever, whatever way you want to look at it, um, are invested in the team doing well and are much, you know, they're they're not going to let Sauber fail uh, if, so long as it's you know reasonably financial financially viable, the team's being propped up now in a way that they literally couldn't possibly... They've always been a Ferrari B team. We've always kind of known that. But now they are the Ferrari B team packaged as Alfa Romeo. And that gives them a certain amount of, you know, more more clout, I suspect, and, and more more help coming into the team that they would have never been able to have relied on previously. That's true. Is that, sorry, is that Williams' on. answer, I was just going to say? Is that what Williams well, needs to be doing? Do they need to be speaking the to Mercedes not... and saying, you know, at the moment... We can't really do anything, you know, on our own. You, you must have a, there is a Mercedes junior program. We're quite happy to, you know, take you, you know, we took, took Veyline for you. What other drivers have you got? So long as you'll give us cheap engines and, you know, mm-hmm. help us out with building the basics of what makes your car fast. From a practical standpoint, it probably is the answer. It would certainly improve them in the short term, but from an ideological standpoint you know this is the williams brand the multiple constructors and championship winning team the last garagistas really aren't they to enter into a you know a submissive agreement with another team would kind of just feel i mean might as well pack up and go home sort of thing if that's what the williams team has become you know and it's just that's a shame and so it's difficult to answer because yes that would suit them in terms of performance and and stuff like that but you know then what are you in it for if you're just gonna gonna be a B team of a of a, of a giant, you know? 
So it's, mm-hmm. it's difficult. And that's why I mentioned Claire Williams. She, she's, I really like a lot of what she says and does, but it's, what's the solution here? I, I'm not sure. I, I, like Up until this season, it was a concern, but it wasn't an overwhelming concern. But just to me, the appointment of Sorokin alongside Stroll, two, two obviously inexperienced pay drivers, was kind of like, it feels a little white flag to me. Like if you could, you know, book a, book a Barrichello or a Massa and then bring in a young guy, a young pay driver, brings in the money in the second car, it would still feel like they were, you know, they were achieving something. But having two of them like that is a bit like, okay, now I'm, now I'm really concerned. <laughs> um, like yeah, Paul Durrett, if they put Paul DeResta in the car, for example, I'd have been like, okay, that's cool. I know Paul DeResta's been out of the game a long time, but it would have just felt a bit more like here we're trying, whereas with Sorokin, it feels like an admission of we're struggling. If they're that close to the bread line, that they need to put two 20-year-old pay drivers in the car with less than 20 Grand Prix experience between them, then that's a, that's, that's like an admission of defeat, you know? Williams's plight point to a bigger issue in that in an ideal world, Williams wouldn't be a, supplied by Mercedes and they'd go out and find their own engine manufacturer like Cosworth or someone like that if they had the resources to start making V6 hybrid engines. So again, are we are we suggesting that because the sport can't find anybody who wants to compete essentially with the existing, and you've got to say it's com- competing with the existing Mercedes and Ferrari engines rather than the Renault engine per se, the fact that they've got to come in and face those two juggernauts and how Honda has failed so miserably to do that is in part sealing William's fate in disappearing from the grid even. And that's why this 2021 regulation that's been decided over the next two weeks or however long it is, is probably one of the most important in F1 history, I'd say. Would you agree? I think there's definitely something in that, but equally, Williams should be able to R&D a chassis and aero package away from the engine that can at least compete with the Force Indias. I suppose that's, I guess that's a, that's a point, isn't it really? Is that if the Force India have the same far engine. behind the Force yeah. India. Force India have the same engine. So the Williams team, this historic team tell me they can't compete with the Force India who are also on a shoestring budget, you know, that's, and, and at Force India, are pay, you know, I've got two drivers who are not on the same level of, of rookiness as, as the, as the two Williams guys. I know Ocon's fairly, and experience, but he's you know a real talent. Though, yeah, isn't he? exactly. That's... And you know he, uh, that, that that that's the key thing for me. If they're not competing with the forces, and they're not well, based on you know, admittedly, one Grand Prix and testing, doesn't look like they're on par with the Force Indias, and that's a concern because they're in the same engine. Yeah. So, so what's what's the problem? It suggests it's the rest of the car. But Nicky's point is is also true. These um. These regulations and stuff is is you know so there's a bigger picture at, at play here, and it's an interesting tangent to sort of wander down. It's like what do you what do you think should be the outcome of these negotiations? Do you have any strong opinions as to what what we should be doing long term here? What do you reckon? I need to find a way to make it affordable without upsetting 
the manufacturers that they already have in the spot. <laughs> but, and Ferrari... off, off you go then, Nicky. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh... we'll just Skype Sean Todd in because he's probably want to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> and if, if you'd like to go and broker a peace between Israel and Palestine whilst you're at it, it's probably going to be easier. I don't know what the answer is. Um, we say, Nicky, well, I think... Isn't the first thing that they've got to do the payments thing? That they've got to just buckle down and say, no, we can't pay Ferrari more for doing less than other teams. That's not the way sport works. We don't pay Manchester United a bonus per year because they're a long and well-established premiership team. That's, that's not the way that sport works. You you live and die on your results and... You know, it's not like Ferrari are going to fail, are they? Not from having this money. It just means it's going to cost them a little bit more to take part. When you compare it to football, like you just did, that highlights how ludicrous the situation is, doesn't it? Like, yeah. like you say, could you imagine Man United getting paid more just because of who they are? Like, no, that's ridiculous. <laughs> um, so, Essentially yeah. getting paid the money, they said, oh, yeah, you can go out and buy, you know, you can buy Messi now. Every season we'll give you the money to buy yeah, like, whoever the, the Messi of that season is. And you'd be like, well... That's incredibly unfair to all the other teams in the league, isn't it? And he'd be yeah. like, "Yes, yes, it is." You're right. And um, yeah, what can you say? Is it is it going to change? Probably not. Actually, um, I don't. I, I don't. I kind I don't of have a feeling it might. Do you think so? I have a kind of. I have a feeling that it's the world has changed around Ferrari, and they haven't quite realised it yet because I don't think they'd be issuing the quit threats quite as quickly as they have been that's the you know they've gotten used so used to being able to do that so used to be able to go in the media and saying well we don't really like this so maybe we'll just take our ball and go home because f1 needs us more than we need f1 um and bernie being bernie doesn't really care do you know what i mean he probably would have let them walk if it had actually made him more money but he makes more money with ferrari in the sport so he's just like well that's fine. We'll pay for our to stay in the sport because ultimately the shareholders and I walk away with a you know a pretty packet of all of the the cuts from having Ferrari in the sport. So that's all good. But that's get that's not Liberty's mindset, is it? That's that's what they've said, isn't it? That it's equality and and in on on and off track is is important to them. And we get paid sixty eight million dollars for for being a long standing sixty eight million dollars for being a long standing team. Which is it, no other team gets that. Is that definitely true? I thought I thought um, I was just I thought a couple of the others the, did. I thought McLaren did. On Autosport, no. because yeah. I was sure I read something where McLaren said that they'd be happy to give up their payment as a long-standing team. So they perhaps get let some, but not as much as for. Well, not as get much as constructors' championship yeah, yeah. bonus. Yeah, constructors' championship bonus. Yes. Harry, Mercedes, Bristol, and McLaren get. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, but well, even if um, Ferrari stopped getting that sixty-eight million, and they cut Ferrari out of the spot, that sixty-eight million shared between another ten teams isn't going to go very far. So it's probably I, better just to keep Ferrari in and keep the income. I, 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 I guess. I guess that's a. I guess that's true, isn't it? That that. that... 68 million between everybody else but at the end of the day in i don't know if it's still the same the last place not get any money 
That's the way it used to be. I don't think so. If you ended up last in under Bernie, you got no money whatsoever. <laughs> well, that's fine. Share out that money so that last place gets something and everybody else gets a little bit more on top of them. That's fine, because at least the team who wins in last place gets something to augment their budget of whatever it is or offset some costs. Um, plus, <laughs> I, at the end of the day, if you said, yeah, okay, so that's going to be, you know, maybe we don't give, we, we split it more further down the end of the, the constructors things, so we use it to, to augment the prize money for the last two or three teams. Um, that's still millions of pounds. We, we probably shouldn't just go, ah, well, an extra 10 million pounds to a Formula One team isn't jump change. It's, it's not, though, really, is it? It's 10 million pounds. It's still 10 million pounds. It, it, it may, you know, maybe but, not the 100 million pounds that they will want, but... But if you look at what we're talking about, Williams, it might be enough for Williams to not have to pay, not take on a pay driver. It could be enough True. for them to... What's 10 million pounds? Well, that's a salary for... I don't know, Jensen Button or whoever wants to drive that car. So, hey, that could be the difference between, I mean, what's the difference between Sergei Sorokin in that car and Jensen Button in that car? 10, 15, 20, 30 points a season, maybe? Something like could that. Could be. So, and, that's, that, and that makes, that 10 million pound investment suddenly could be 20 million, depending on how how far he drags the car up the, up, you know, up the pecking order. So, it's, small you know big things come from small beginnings as they say and <laughs> you know every every little helps to drop another cliche so uh, it's, it's you know well, you got to do something <laughs> you got to do something it kind of um, feels like i think i don't disagree with you nikki in essence in saying that you know the actual monetary value in itself is not the biggest amount of money to return back to the sport per se um, although if you if tied in with a restructure of the prize money, I think it could be a big thing. Yeah. Uh, is an issue of who runs what, and it's the the biggest single thing I think that Liberty can do to say no. That you know we're commercial rights holders. This is our sport. It's not you know you you choose to take part in it and if you don't want to take part in it then that's fine if you don't want to you know if you don't like the rules you don't have to play uh but we'll carry on and build the brand without you and you know it will still be f1 without ferrari in it whatever people like to think you know it will be really sad if it's f1 without ferrari but it will still be f1 and then my point of view has always been what does that make ferrari then what what other championships are they noted for being a part of Silence. <laughs> Silence is deafening. <laughs> that one, you know, the, the cars Can appearing. You see Ferrari and... rocking up in Formula E. You just it doesn't. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. it's like it's totally off brand. Whereas Mercedes are already in Formula E. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's kind of like, yep, yeah, that's that's right up what we you know what we need to do. So, I think if Ferrari had a Formula E team, they'd change the name so that Ferrari was spelt instead of an I on the end of capital E. Ferrari. <laughs> That'd be brilliant. That's that's genius, but you. You absolutely need to tweet that to a River Bene or Marchioni and say, look, it's doable. <laughs> also, hire me as your marketing man. <laughs> so, I, um, I mean, other than the money, you know, the engines, what, what do you want to see from, from engine regulations? Do you want continued focus been, on 
I've the been funny about this. I've, continuation I've been... of the current design, or, or scrap it completely, or what? What would you reckon? Because there's definitely I, an argument to be had on multiple sides here. I liked the idea that they would standardise more of the components of that hybrid, the hybrid system. Yeah, so I think so too. That it was cheaper, and everybody was running more of the same thing, and then the combustion engine was built. You know, was what it is because there's less development in that and there's less that you can kind of do with it. And then it's all about, you know, efficiency and, and, and all of the other bits and pieces that they can sort of twiddle around that. But if, if, if the basics of the um, MGUH and turbo were fairly standard, um, that takes a big bite out of the R and D budget for the smaller teams. Um, and, you know, the bigger teams, that's where they've been making the massive gains really is, is in those areas or being able to know where, where all of that sort of dictate how the engine's going to work really to to everybody else um i've changed my mind a little bit on it in that i was originally saying i've always i don't care about the v6 hybrid and the noise and all the other bits and pieces never been a problem for me i don't think the engines are bad in and of themselves um the only time i thought they were bad was that was the silly season where we said you can't tell a driver how to fix their engine as they're going along on the radio and that was the only time that they looked stupid because then they looked too complicated but it's quite clear to see in the last few seasons, so long as you know they they can be told to control up delete to restart the car, then they're not that complicated really, or they're complicated, but they're not too complicated. But with the continued rise of Formula E that doesn't seem to be going anywhere, as we've just brought them up, it to me seems like there's no real reason for f1 to really hang on green credentials or talk about road relevance anymore because there's an entire series set up about you know electricity efficiency and green credentials and and all of those bits and pieces so if there is a time to go back and say all right let's go back to a v8 and reduce some of the technology in the car Maybe now is the time to do it. Maybe now is the time to embrace something of the past and go by 20... What, what's, the, what's the date for all the cars being electric in the UK? Is it 2021 or something, or 2025? Isn't it 2039? Could be. I can't remember what it is. What, <laughs> at some point, <laughs> everywhere is going to be electric. There is going to be no petrol engines. Uh, so rather than chase some mythical hybrid petrol thing because the, the series can never go full electric anyway because there's formula e and that's that's where that's going to be you might as well embrace the petrol routes and go you know it's a petrol engine series and it's always going to be a petrol engine series and that's that's what we're going back to and lay your cards out early so that by the time everything comes around at least everybody knows where they are with it all rather than it being a sort of halfway house where it is at the moment I agree. Um, it's like Bernie Eccleston was saying that Formula e, Formula One should become all electric now, but it's it's already too late to do that because Formula E does exist. And if Formula mm-hmm. One follows that, then it's just going to become a secondary Formula E now. So it has to either go hybrid, continue on the path that it's on, or switch back to V8s. Yeah, but. It's um, it's an interesting one because at some point F one is going to become uh, dated and old, and it's a historic racing series. Yeah. He just doesn't realise it yet. 
Yeah, exactly. But at what point does it become historic? And when do, when do you make the change in the engines to make it not historic? Got to evolve. Yeah, no, it? absolutely. I mean, like like you say, the only way it can continue as is 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 hybrid, uh, and more of it has to go over to that. You know, there has to be less reliance on the on the combustion part of it, or the the combustion part of it has to perform an obvious function that the electric engines can't. And at the moment, they can because it's mostly that they can run the whole entire race without swapping the cars around. But that's going to change next season in Formula E anyway. Do you know what I mean? Worry about that uh, in Formula E because that's a unique selling point of that lo- spot. <laughs> I really like it. I think it's a, a, it, it, maybe not because it's the most amazing thing, but I like it's such a kind of and because it gives you the whole minimum pit stop time. I really like that concept. I think it's really interesting that they have to take a certain amount of time minimum for the for the pit stop to be safe and stuff. But it it leads to such a sort of you know finite edge of making sure that you get out in time it's almost more on edge than the 0.3 second pit stops we get in formula one now especially now that um now that there isn't a minimum time so they've got to get the seatbelts on as quickly as possible that's how to add danger have they reduced the minimum is the minimum Uh, time gone oh it was for i think it still is it definitely was for one race Um, okay but yeah i really like the minimum time i thought i've always said I, i it, it was part of my big push to get refueling back in F1 that you could have a minimum pit stop time. You say that the cars come in, they stop for 10 seconds, get fueled, everything comes off, and then the car can go, or the car is is off for the entire period of the refueling bits and pieces and then can't go so you don't get any of the, you know, messing around with fuel hoses and bits and pieces. Um, so that's a good question. Do you, We kind of got amazed at, you know the the lightning quick pit stops, but are you amazed by them anymore? Is it you know is it a selling point anymore? These super quick you know we can change tires in three seconds. Uh, I'm I'm not a fan. Um, it takes I, everybody can kind of do them between like what two point five and three point five as a sort of standard. Uh, if you're four seconds, that's a slow one. But you're still only losing one second to the, you know, to the to the quickest guy. Whereas if you botched a refueling pit stop, you'd lose five, six, seven, eight seconds maybe. And that that to me added, um, you know, added a little bit. You know, if you if you if you're going into the last ten laps of a race and you to stop, a, a messy pit stop could could completely cost them the race. Whereas a messy tire pit stop. It's probably still, you know, you're probably going to get away with it because at worst you're only going to lose one or two seconds. So, you know, unless you're Haas and you're not attaching the wheels properly, but, <laughs> um, you know, I mean, if, if a mistake, a mistake under the current rules is less, you know, you, you're punished less. It feels than, than than you know in the past when you were stopping for eight, nine, ten seconds. So I, that's one thing that that I've always one of the reasons I've always wanted to bring refueling back is because it created another element of unpredictability going into the latter stages of a race where you knew if a guy saw a pit, oh, there's still something, there's still there's still something in this. He's still got the pit. He's still got to get his car fueled and back out there. He's still got to navigate that. Whereas you look at it now and you say, oh, we still got to come in. Ah, yeah, but it's it's, it's a two second pit stop. It's, it's you know, there's no. 
there's no danger of it of it you know costing them the race or anything so yeah i'm i'm i i'd like to see obviously we all know we'd both like to see refueling but i'd like to see the longer pit stops for sure and to argue against that with what happened at Haas at the weekend doing such a rush to get back out with the automated traffic lights that it cost them any chance of finishing the race yeah it's it either costs you very little or it costs you the entire race in yeah very it does odd it does seem like that yeah and the whole point about you know the reason that unsafe you know it's called an unsafe release for a reason um but the rules at the moment kind of push people towards making unsafe releases because they can't um they can't take the time to be double sure they can't double check everything it's on and pull the gun away and throw it in the air and then when you realize it's not on by the time you've thrown your hands in the x the lollipop light guy has already done the lights and everybody's looking at the lights nobody's looking at the people anymore and it's you know off and go and it's it's far too late to do anything about it um just another reason why I think refueling would make everybody's lives better. Like I say, I, I think you can you can always make refueling safer if you want to, uh, and then it then it just takes the pressure off of everything else around a pit stop. You know, you you could you could make refueling not be a sort of massa Singapore dragging the hose down the thing or a, a, a Jos Verstappen in fire in the pit lane thing easily by making sure everybody used standard equipment they never touched and never tinkered with was inspected by the FIA given to them you know randomly from a set of fuel rigs each race so that they couldn't guarantee that if they changed something it you know it wouldn't go to somebody else the next race that would you know be better for them they could do it so that when it attaches the car the engine immediately pulls in the clutch and the clutch isn't released until the fuel nose is away from the car and plus one second do you know what I mean? So that it was the same for everybody. So that one second after the fuel nose is released, then the cu- then the car can go. Then where's you know where's the danger there? The only danger is going too fast and being reckless with it. But you could you could stop that happening and bring refueling back and add it in as an extra you know an extra variable during the race. Even if it doesn't add more than one or two different ways of working out the race, that's still one or two things that we don't have now. I think it'd be interesting and, to try and i think it also backs ross brown's argument for non-championship races to trials things like that without making it for a full season just to see if it does spice things up yeah yeah that's absolutely true um i hadn't seen and, that as ross as ross brown been campaigning for it was non-championship uh, races. the start of last season in an interview with ted kravitz i think uh he kind of mentioned that it'd be uh, good to test things at non-championship races rather than um, put them into into the regulation straight away which would definitely be okay. interesting yeah uh, maybe at the start of the season instead instead of doing three tests in Barcelona have one that's a race you know but yeah. that that could work yeah, yeah three or oh, just three races throughout the season isn't it one one at the start one in the middle and one near the end. Yeah. Because then you get, feel... you get all aspects of the cars. You get them at the start of the season, in the middle when they're developing them. Um, and then at the end when the cars, you know, are at the end of that development cycle. So it gives you a rough idea about any rule changes that you're looking to enact. I rather feel like than if... chucking them in and seeing how it works. If they did it in the middle of the season, 
maybe it's just me, but I would feel like, oh, I can miss that because it's not a championship race or something. It would, it would, it would, but that's it would, fine, isn't it? Then, yeah. then it doesn't have to be televised. It's not for, it's yeah, not well, for television nice. audiences. They can watch it if they want to. They can say, yeah, here's a, here's a thing, you know. Um, don't make it a standard format weekend then. You know, About- don't do qualifying. Do it on, you know, yeah. Yeah, average yeah. speed or, you know, um, you know, everybody gets 50 laps um, and it's the your average time across all of those laps. Something different, you know, so that you can differentiate it from anything else. You also guarantee that everybody's going to try and use all of the laps because they've got to get 50 laps to get the, be- the best average time. Um, About doing it at, to... a, at a young driver's test. Yep, or a young driver's test. With a young driver. Yep. I'd like to see that. I'm going to start campaigning for it. <laughs> uh, you know, I'd, 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 be, I'd be happy to watch. Happy to watch that. Maybe at the start or even at the end of the season. Just feel like in the middle, feel a bit odd. Feel like playing a, a preseason friend, a, a friendly in the middle of the league season of football or something. Just feel a bit out of place. Where at the start of the season or at the end of the season, then yeah, by all means, crack on. Oh, think of it as an international friendly. <laughs> yeah, they're also pointless. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I like the idea that they they could try the stuff that they were talking. Can you imagine if they'd done the knockout qualifying and run it yeah, for a yeah. couple of times during the season? The season realised how did terrible it, it would be. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean, nobody would have gone. Oh yeah, this is a bit rubbish because all the teams are just hanging back and not doing anything, aren't they? I quite like but, the idea of using the young drivers. You know, a full race setup, full race weekend, but with only the with with twenty young drivers. And it has and to then, be the named the named test and reserve yeah. drivers. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So imagine might, like, in, and then the you might there, get. You know, knock on effect, you might actually get some female racing drivers getting to race Formula One cars actively in a race setup, even if it isn't a, a, a yeah. an F1 championship race. Or guys from GP2 and stuff who look like they're going to be the business, like your and people like that. You'd get to see them on a race conditions before they actually step into Formula One. That'd be brilliant. That'd be really cool. So, yeah, no, there's something in that for sure. And I've I've never really bought the... um the argument that testing is very expensive if you do it in season in and around the races that you're already racing. Do you know what I mean? Does it, does it really cost the teams that much more if after, you know, before, you know, in, in Australia, in spa and then in um, Brazil or Abu Dhabi, if they all hang on for a day to do a young driver race three times in in a season, is it really going to cost them that much? So long as, you know, I think the tyres, you know, the whatever tyres they're going to give them need to be given by Pirelli, and Pirelli just need to suck that up and say, "Yep, every, we, you know, we understand for for three three of these race seasons, we're going to have to give them all three sets of ultra softs or three sets of soft super softs or whatever they're going to give them that will give them the lappage." Fine, not you know, not a problem. I think that's that's fine, and the the fuel costs can't possibly be so astronomical that their teams can't afford it. But we all get to see, you know, we actually get representative ways of looking at what the future of F1 is, both in terms of drivers and in terms of the rules. I think that's that's win-win, isn't it, for everybody, really, all, all around. I wasn't even thinking about talking about this, and this is a brilliant idea, and I don't know why we haven't talked about it. I think all the teams have to be in it for the sake of Formula 1 rather than for their own personal gains. Which is difficult, mm. <laughs> but um, yeah, there has to be, there has to be some leeway in 
how much the teams are pushing for themselves and how much they're pushing for the sake of the future of the spot and improving the spot for everyone involved in it. Yeah, you'd have thought they'd have taken notice of the, the slight decline in uh, in viewership and uh, attendance at some of the tracks to catch them to understand that their investment and, you know, I don't care even if you're Mercedes or Ferrari or whoever, you know, by being in the sport for 10 years plus as, you know, Mercedes have, or as long as a Ferrari or uh, a Red Bull potentially have been in, um, that's millions and millions of pounds. Are you really prepared to just go, nah, forget it. You know, I'd rather this, this died and all this investment was completely wasted than acquiesce and do things that might improve the show and grab viewers and and take them away from going to things like formula e which is generally apart from in the uk it seems easily accessible on a you know in a in a, in a single place that, that that can easily be watched is in a format that doesn't take up the entirety of people's weekends you know they can watch formula the whole of the formula e thing in you know an hour and a bit um a little bit more if they're going to watch qualifying has an interesting qualifying format and and all of these bits and pieces that that's what they're up against and I, I don't know if do you think the teams don't take that seriously that you know other things could come up and become a challenge and that is, where does the where do the team's loyalties lie if if formula e does become on par with formula e sorry formula e becomes on par with formula 1 do the teams just switch because it's better for business for them or do they stay loyal to the brand of Formula One? I guess it depends on the teams, doesn't it? For a Mercedes or a Renault, it probably does, doesn't it? Um, for Red Bull, they certainly have no long-term F1 loyalty, particularly if, if Formula E is better for the brand, then they'll certainly go. Um, I'm a that threatens to quit every other week, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, then you're left with like the, you know... Um, McLarens, the Saubers, Williams, maybe the Haas, but probably not the Haas either. Because if Ferrari go and don't, you know, don't give them the car, then what have they got to hang around in F1? And it's not like Gene Haas doesn't have other formula in the states to go and potentially go back to. Um, you know what? What do you do? But for Ferrari, are the ones that are kind of stuck, really, aren't they? Because an all-electric series does not complement their brand. Um, they don't really have anywhere else to go. F1 is is the is the brand that made Ferrari as you know, as well as Ferrari helping to make the F1 brand. Have we all died? <laughs> I was going to say somebody say something. <laughs> <laughs> I might I might edit that bit out. Um, so, I think you just finished on such a profound point. Right? <laughs> that was it. That was it. So not much more oh, to say. What else has been going on? Anything exciting? Anything hilarious or graphics worth uh, on board cameras? Oh, oh the Halo, I guess we should. Uh... <laughs> I actually didn't notice that, that much actually during the race. Yeah. Like looking at the cars, I didn't notice that much. And I'm not just saying that. really didn't. Apart from the on-board but... cameras. The onboard camera was just yeah, it's mega. Oh. Who? You know I mean, who? Who did that? 
Do you know the one? So why did it's funny because. Solution to it. Sorry, what was that, Nikki? Sorry, I said, um, why didn't they think up a solution to it before they suddenly got to Australia and realised, oh yeah, this looks a bit crap. Oh yeah, if we, if we put this in front of the camera, you can't really see. <laughs> but the weird I, I, thing is, isn't isn't there a space already dedicated to a potential camera in the Halo? I'm sure I read that somewhere that it's been the, thought of. In the middle of it, in the yeah. centre. Um, but they covered it over with carbon fibre with carbon fibre for some reason. Not entirely sure yeah. why. Um, I was just like, well, that would almost be the best thing because it's practically driver eyeline. It's not a helmet cam, so you don't have to have um, the worry of the helmet being behind the halo. But then it's sort of just somebody's just gone, ah, that'd be all right. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, though. I mean, actually, during the race, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. It's, the guys like Ferrari who have and a couple others where the halo's the same color as the body of the car. It seems to be okay. It's, it's like the other ones where it's a black block, which is, you know, obviously markedly different from the rest of the color of the livery. The, those are the guys that are worse. So basically paint it guys and it won't look as bad. This <laughs> is my, my summary there. Or do as, um, Sean Ball, um, did, uh, helmet colors of the drivers so that it it is completely different yeah. but there is a decent reason for it being different so that you can easily identify who's driving what car yeah just do something with it like this, when it's just a block of black that's when it's at its worst so you know you can you can paint it something snazzy without compromising the safety element so if, if they're here to stay and we're stuck with them then at least you know make them look cool <laughs> absolutely do we think the um because there was there was talk because uh, India introduced or started to introduce uh, uh, their version of the aero screen, and that's the way they're going. Do we feel that it, Halo might be of limited life on in F one, or are we do you think we're stuck with it forever? I think it it will evolve over the next years, but I, <laughs> I just don't think it'll... stick windows in it basically, yeah. <laughs> and then the Halo bit will get smaller, so it's more windows, and then suddenly it'll be the aero screen. We're like, oh yeah. It feels like it's here to stay, just reading the general consensus from the paddock and people who people who matter what they're saying. It, it doesn't feel like we're getting rid of it anytime soon, so I guess we just have to get used to it. I found a, I found a really good, good quote on the, uh, on the Halo. It says, one thing that your eyes can't help but notice is the ugliness of the onboard cameras. I found the halo to be pretty inoffensive, aside from when we ride on board and it takes up 50% of the screen. <laughs> I mean, it's true. Do you know who said that? It may by any chance. It was you, yes. That's <laughs> <laughs> a... It was, in fact, to... Alan Prost, who... Uh, no. <laughs> Been stealing your tweets. Um, and I think that, that, that sums up the halo for me. Absolutely. It's a safety device. They're not meant to necessarily be pretty. They're meant to save lives and it will potentially do that. Uh, hopefully will never be required to, but you know, um, it is what it is. There's things that you can do. There's always things that you can do to make it look more appealing if you want it to. When the uh, hands device was first put in, people complained about it. Some drivers even refused to wear it at first, but now it's just such a common part of motorsport yeah. that nobody even mentions or questions it 
No. Or when they when they raised all of the sides of the cockpit up, and people were like, well, you can't see the driver now. This is rubbish. Well, you know, just like, well, yeah, but if we don't do this, when they crash, their heads bounce around and it breaks their necks. Do we not think that that's? <laughs> and everybody went, ah, yeah, yeah, probably actually, you know. Or like arm said, coat barriers at, at you know at tracks in the seventies, you know, ah, oh, they're all wusses for not wanting to you know drive off a cliff if they go half a <laughs> foot off the edge of the track. There's there's your solution to track limits, isn't it? Realistically, just have nothing but a, like a forest or or a field or a lake, literally two foot off the side of the track, and then everybody will stay dead in the middle of it. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. It did feel like the. Um... The Sky guys were, it was like the elephant in the room almost. They didn't, re- didn't really want to talk about it, I felt like. You know, just, like they'd almost been like told by the production, okay, we know it looks bad. Don't, don't, don't highlight how bad it looks because it's not, not good for the brand or whatever. But John Todd had said exactly that, didn't he? He yeah. told the drivers to shut up about it, which yeah. I thought was extraordinary. It was just like, I, I, wow. I did, I did get that vibe watching the whole... What like I felt I felt like Brundle and Crofty barely mentioned it the whole race when it was obviously a talking point, you know, first race with a halo, first ever race with a halo. And I felt like it was barely mentioned. So yeah. it feels like there's been a conscious decision somewhere to say, Yeah, don't don't sit there and say how rubbish it looks for an hour because that's not good <laughs> that's not good PR, you know. Yeah, that sounds fair enough. Well, I think that takes us up to the end of our allotted time for this. Maybe a little bit over, but no. It's fine with me. Got some good points. Come up with a new and exciting way to augment the uh, racing calendar, which is even better. We shall trademark that immediately and <laughs> and everything. Um, so thank you very much, Nikki, for joining us for this episode. Do you want to just let the folks at Gnome... Uh, at Gnome? Oh, the let folks the at home. <laughs> yes, and the homes and the gnomes and the bones and whatever. Uh, would you like to let everybody know where they can find all of your goodness online? You can find me at Lights Out F1 Blog and at Nikki Holdenby. And uh, you can read my writing on lightsoutblog.com and on badgergp.com. Whoop, whoop. Uh, you will always find us at Last Lap Podcast. Um, Sean, do you want to give out your personal Twitter? You don't have to. Yeah, no, you can come and uh, chat with me at Firebolt Willow. Wrestling and horse racing. Pretty Not much. at the same time. Wow. Interesting <laughs> spot, though. <laughs> uh, I won't give up my personal Twitter because I'm pretty much using Last Lap Podcast as my <laughs> as my personal Twitter these days. My poor old personal one is 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 gathering dust in the corner somewhere. Um, but thank you very much for listening, guys. Uh, again, I hope you're enjoying this uh, this new revised format. Uh, let us know, like I say, on t- on Twitter at Last Lap Podcast, uh, and any other comments that you've got or anything that you want us to talk about in any of these episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, and for now. We'll sign off and we shall see you after what's the next Grand Prix? Bahrain. Bahrain. Oh dear. Uh, we shall see you. <laughs> uh, let's be positive. We shall see you after what will probably be a very exciting and hard fought uh, Bahrain Grand Prix. So thank you very much, everybody, and we'll see you then. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.